Hello, founders, and welcome to the Gab Lab. This is a show that is sharing with you financial information that is going to blow your mind, but more importantly, it's going to help you build your bottom line. I'm your show host, Tanya Woods-Richardson, and today's champ, champ of this episode, is Community Futures of Saskatchewan with 13 offices across the province to help founders, entrepreneurs like you build their business and nail their numbers. So today's episode, I'm actually really pumped about today's episode. Uh, we have Stan Swartz here to join us, president of Info Money Solutions, Inc. And Stan, you're following two rather heavy episodes. Uh, two weeks ago, we were talking all about insolvency and bankruptcy. And then last week, we were talking about um, debt and how to, how to hopefully get out of it and turnarounds and restructuring. So heavy, heavy conversations. I'm not going to suggest tax is a light conversation, but it's a need to do, right? Death and taxes, as they say, the cliche. So welcome to the show, Stan. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate, now, appreciate as, you inviting me. Well, um, as always, you know, it's a, as always, let me finish that thought. We're going to break this segment down. If you haven't guessed it already, we're going to be talking all about taxes. And uh, basically, the, the topic is quarterbacking your tax return. I was trying to figure out why I had football on the brain. And then I realized that we have Super Bowl coming up this weekend. So now I realize why I was thinking along those lines. But as with every segment, we're going to break this topic down into three kind of bite-sized manageable chunks. Um, the first one, we're going to talk about the overall game plan, because there's more to taxes than just giving money to the government. Then we're going to look at the players. And Stan, you're going to share with us some really, um, I think it's a unique perspective, actually, on it, it goes beyond just the accountant when we start talking about taxes. And then our third segment is going to be the 10-yard line, which is really preparing for what's coming up in the next several months, getting your taxes in and how to best uh, prepare for those. So that is the nature of our conversation today. And Stan, I know that your bio is down below in the notes, but what really resonated with me about your story, there was a couple things. One, you're really a, a you're, you're um, teach the teachers, right? It basically, because you're out there helping accountants really show up powerfully for business owners. That was one, one thing that really landed with me. The other thing is uh, man after my own heart, that you are out there empowering people on the topic of financial literacy. And then the third piece, which I think that um, I'm really excited about what you're bringing to this conversation today. You're not only an accountant, but you mirror or you marry that with um, financial planning which I think the conversation, the way it's going to steer is really about understanding the role of taxes and how that dovetails into our tax strategy, right? And our long-term <laughs> retirement plan. So that's enough for me, gab, gab, gab. It is the gab lab, but welcome to the show again. Super excited to have you here. You are in Toronto today, correct? Yeah, where else can you be these days? At home in Toronto, around the world, everybody's probably watching from at home. 
All right. So let's just get right into it. Let's get into the game plan. And if we kind of piggyback off that last conversation or last topic, um, last point about financial planning and taxes, let's actually go a little bit deeper. I know a lot of people think of taxes as just, again, you know, their obligation every year to get money into the taxes. What's your perspective on taxes? Well, taxes are, like you said at the beginning, it's one of the necessary so we've got to deal with it. Um, but what most people don't realize is that taxes can be managed. And it's not managing them on April 29th or June, June 14th, the day before you have to file the tax return. Uh, it begins many, many months before that. It could be January 1st of the previous year, or it could go back even further as make, in creating a long-term financial and tax planning strategy. Um, and, and having a vision of, as to where you need to go after having properly taken an in, inventory of what you currently have and what the tax effects over a period of years is going to be on whatever it is you have, and in some cases, even what you don't have, uh, to, to utilize whether you've got losses, whether you've got pregnant gains in investment property or stocks and bonds, um, and to look at constantly looking at your overall situation. Now, when I say constantly, I don't mean every day and every minute, but to have a regular um, plan to sit down with your advisor or advisors to see what it is you, you've got and what their plans or strategies or recommendations are for you. Okay. Now, having said that, one of the things that you know briefly touched on when you and I first met is that a lot of people have an, an accountant. They have a lawyer that they will use from time to time for various matters and, and situations. And chances are they also have a financial advisor that advises them on investments. And possibly that person may or may not be also an insurance person who's advised them on insurance needs. And what I mean by insurance, I mean life, disability, critical illness, and that type of insurance. Um, but those people generally don't talk to each other. And having spent over 25 years of public practice and 20 years before that in industry and at various levels, and never really seeing those people communicating, I would rarely get a phone call from a financial advisor about how to structure uh, a person's investments as to give them the best tax advantage and future planning and succession planning and estate planning purposes. I would rarely get a call from a lawyer or a lawyer when they were uh, creating a will. And chances are, you know, the other accountants, who, if I was uh, taking over uh, an account from a previous accountant, whether it be personal or corporate, uh, never getting a phone call and saying, was there a strategy that you were utilizing that, uh, or, or where I can ask, was there a strategy you were employing? And chances are the answer was no. no. I prepare the financials. I prepare the financial statements and the tax returns and get it signed and ask them for a check and see you next year kind of thing. Gotcha. Uh, can I so, can I ask, can I just jump in for a sec? When we're talking about strategy, if 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 when we look at the bigger game plan, um, I'm curious to hear from you. In my line of work, when I'm putting on my behavioral hat right now, behavioral finance hat, the number of people that actually begrudgingly give their tax dollars away, right, far outweigh the number of people that are seeing their tax dollars um, and excited about putting their tax dollars to work. I have a question for you. How many of your clients are actually 
I'm not going to say excited, but how many of your clients are appreciating the value of their tax dollars at work as a percentage, as a ratio, those compared to those that begrudgingly? They, they all care about it and they all dislike writing the check. Every, every one of them. Without, they without all dislike, okay. In- all dislike writing, dis, dislike writing the check. But ver- having said that, very few are interested in, in even taking the time to see what it is that they could do to minimize their taxes. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 the, and the memos that I've written over the years giving tax planning suggestions to clients, inviting to, to a meeting at their convenience, not necessarily mine, nights, weekends, whenever, and say, let's, let's sit down and go over this, my, my recommendations and my strategies. And, and, it, and usually the answer is I'm too busy or I'm going on vacation or whatever. So, and then come the end of the year, when I tell them how much tax they owe, they said, gee, that's a lot. And I said, well, we could yeah. have done something about it. Yeah. Sin, you know, when I was doing some research on this, this is the number I pulled up. I could only find it for 2018, but they estimated, uh, this was the Fraser Institute in BC. When they put their numbers together, they came up with 42.5% of our income. Now I'm talking personal taxes here. I'm not talking business taxes, but 42.5% of our income goes to taxes from federal to municipal to um, income taxes to mortgage, 42.5, right? Like that is, if that's not a brick over the head to start waking up and understanding, you know, the the price that we pay is, so let me just back up there because I think there's two important distinctions and I'll just put my behavioral uh, hat back on. And that is, I personally believe taxes are a form of sharing. It's a form of sharing money. When we look at the, the, the reason why we share, it's about social impact, right? Financial impact, social impact, environment impact. Um, and taxes are really just that. The taxes that we pay are going to pay, you know, for our infrastructure, for our roadways, for uh, giving back to others, different social programs that are out there. So just a different way to think of taxes. But then coming back to the game plan, it's really about understanding a 42.5%. If that's what we are currently paying, it would be in our best interest to work with professionals like yourself to try to mitigate some of that right, to actually put towards our retirement, or to put towards repaying our debt. Are you seeing people actually doing that math and being aware of that? Let, or me, just give, let me just give you one quick thought. It's not what you earn, it's what you keep. Okay. So if you can think about, you know, if you look at somebody says, well, I make $100,000 a year. Well, how much it actually ends up in disposable income or available for investment or what, or paying down debt or whatever it is? Very little of that. Um, and even if you think about the wages that we earn in Canada and the amount of tax that we pay, the wages are high because of the amount of tax that we have to pay. If you think about it in some situations, we could possibly earn 15 or 20% less if the tax rates were lower and still end up with the same take home. So no. I'm, I'm sitting with that. Our wages in Canada are higher. Now that, that would, that would, that, now, that would mean that the corporations or the employers would have more in their pockets, but they would then pay higher taxes on, on their profits unless they properly 
uh, invested it in, in a tax advantage purpose. So the whole tax system is way out of whack with reality. Not that we can do anything here in today's discussion, but just to keep people aware of it. So like I said, it's not what you earn, it's yep. what you keep. Okay, so let, let me just dive into that one for a little bit. It is out of whack, but I think that what, so what's important about this conversation is that we're having it. Can we fix anything today? No, but it always starts with awareness. So can you just clarify for, for our audience again, why you're feeling our system is, is in your language out of whack right now? What is it about the system that's flawed? Well, first of all, like you just said, it's awareness. So we're here, we're, we're February the 3rd, 2021, and people are starting to think about doing their 2020 taxes, whether it be corporate or whether it be personal. So what I suggest you do is pull out your copy of your, of your 2020, uh, sorry, your 1999 tax return and look at it. See what's on there. See what it is that could have been dealt with otherwise to mitigate, to reduce or, or re- mitigate the taxes that you paid in 1990, in 1999, you're following what I'm saying. Go okay. sit down with your sit down with your accountant now, and say, explain to me what went on in your in this tax return. Because chances are, when your 2020 tax return is be, is done or being prepared, and you run in there on April 9th, uh, April 29th to sign it off or whatever, your accountant's going to be too busy to sit down and discuss what's in there with you. Go back now and go through that 1999 tax return with him or her. Find out what went on. Find out what could have been done, what you could still do differently to mitigate taxes, possibly for 2020, even though retroactive tax planning is very difficult, and see what it is that you can do on a go-forward basis. And if you're not getting the answers that you would like and your accountant's not in tune with you, maybe it's time to look for somebody else. Now, also, a lot of a lot of a lot of the people that are possibly watching this are also business owners. So you've got the interrelationship of their corporate taxes or their cor- or their businesses, and the, and the effect that it has on their personal taxes. So let's get so get those things in align with each other and see that what it is that you can do on the corporate side that affects the personal side or vice versa. So just am I making myself clear? I believe so. I just want to confirm, though, you're asking us to go back to 1999. So 20 years ago? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 2019. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I just wanted to confirm that. I was just thinking, has so much happened in the last two decades that we've completely (laughs) mapped our our tax strategy. Okay. So that Uh, makes really good sense. Yeah. That makes really good sense. Learn from our, our past year. Because we can, you know, it's a lot easier to see the rear mirror, right, and understand what happened or what didn't happen. And, right. and, and that's a that. big part of what, and that's a big part of what I preach when I do financial literacy sessions is look over your previous tax returns. Get an understanding of what your tax return is all about. Sorry, I have to stop you. Your, your volume just went way down there and there's something clicking in the back. It was, it's, it felt like it was shaking a glass table or something, something shaking on the table or no. Okay. Now you're okay now. And then can you just say the alphabet? Maybe I I was emphasizing something and banging on the table. Okay. There, there you go. Yeah. I think it's good now. It was just like a click, 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 click. Like it was quite fast, but okay. Okay. So we'll just take it back from, um, I just, uh, 
looking at the tax, where do you, sorry, looking at the taxes from 19, from 2019. Yeah. Okay. Right. So that makes perfect sense, Stan, to actually take a look at the lessons from the past and how we can apply that learning going into the future. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. So now if we start thinking about the bigger game plan, I'm feeling a lot of people, and yes, we are in the middle of a pandemic, but it's been my experience that many people are always reactive, right? And they're always looking at their taxes four months after year end and going, ah, you know, this is not where I thought I would be. What, how, what advice do you give to business owners about understanding their long game, their fight, and, and this is where we marry the planning with taxes, understanding their long game and then understanding their short game and how to better prepare for that using taxes as, as a vehicle actually in their, in their financial plan? Well, first of all, they've, in understanding their businesses, they should understand the tax rates that apply to their, to their, to their businesses. So whether their corporation's eligible for small business deductions and what, and what rates they're paying those taxes at, every province is slightly different. Are they taking out dividends? Are they taking out salary from that corporation? What's the most uh, beneficial an expedient way to, with, to withdraw earnings to, to support your lifestyle. Uh, what is being reinvested back in the business? Perhaps you've got to put shareholder money back into the business to keep it going or to expand in, in a lot of cases. So, and how is that money being treated? What have you done to protect that money that you've lent to the business? Now, I'm getting off of taxes right now, but when you put money into the business, you know, you're, you're providing a loan just like a bank might. Bank will take back security. So if you're putting money in, you should be taking back security as well. But on a tax basis, what is on a tax uh, point of view, what is it that money is going to do in the business? Is it going to generate additional revenues and additional profits that's going to be subject to tax? And tax at what rate? Are you buying machinery that's going to be eligible perhaps for a fast write-off for a high capital cost allowance rate? Is it going to be beneficial? Um, are you going to be, you know, what, what's the payback that's going to be on that machinery? How are you financing it? Are you leasing it? Are you buying it? Uh, what's the advantages of leasing over buying? Because there's different tax rates that apply to those different situations. So before you make that expenditure, again, sit down with your accountant and say, what is it, you know, what should I be doing? How should I be acquiring this business? What are, what's going to be the ramifications tax-wise on everything I'm doing here? Uh, what's the cash flow that you're projecting out of this? Are you going to have losses in the early years? Are those losses because of this new acquisition and the startup costs and everything else? Can you be able, will you be able to carry those losses back and get tax refunds because of that? Uh, are you or be able to carry those losses forward in the future and create and generate some cash flow from those tax refunds? So those are things that you have to be aware of when you're making an investment in your business. And then what's it going to do personally? So Stan, what, what advice do you have for the business owner that comes in? Now, I'm not talking a sole proprietor right now. I'm talking a, an actual business owner that regardless of dividends or salary, they're recognized as a director of a business. They've set up a separate entity. What advice do you have for them? Because I think a lot of business owners get very clouded 
and and befuddled when they you know they don't see themselves separate over here and then their business over here it's all one giant cloud how do you recommend they start separating the two and then first understanding their personal tax situation and their personal long-term game plan and then how the business is supporting that plan and then dealing with taxes in the business to actually fuel that long-term game plan. So another saying that I've heard is when you're a business owner, you're part of the business, but you have to think of yourself as being apart from it. So you have to compartmentalize yourself from that business. They're two distinct entities. You're the individual's an entity. The business is an entity. So separate yourself, whether you're an officer, director, an employee of that business, and you're also the business owner. So you have to think, are you making the decisions for that business, whether it be tax or anything else, because of your personal needs and wants, or are you doing it because of the business needs and wants? Which is, it's very difficult to, to get into that headspace. So uh, what's the impact going to be? Like I said, whether it be tax-wise or business growth-wise, what what, what's the overriding thing to do here? But again, uh, coming back to, to your question, is when you're, do, when you're making a decision that's going to affect that business, is it going to increase the value of the business? Hopefully it will. Um, and what's that going to do to your overall wealth situation? What additional plans do you have to m- make tax-wise if it's going to increase the value of the business? The value of the business is going to increase significantly, possibly over a period of time. Um, and that, like I said, that value increases. What's the tax plan ultimately to deal with it? Now, what is it that you want to do with that business? You want to keep it for as long as you possibly can and hang on to it uh, with the cold hand reaching out of the out of the grave possibly um, and never let it go? Is it going to be transitioned to the family? Do you plan to sell it? Do you plan to sell it uh, to a third party or maybe you're thinking about selling it to your employees? So all these things need to be considered. Uh, you know, perhaps you're only 45 or 50 years old now and you think, well, I'm going to be in this thing for another 25 or 30 years or, or longer, but stuff happens. Yeah. And if stuff happens, what's going to be, what's going to happen uh, tax wise, uh, wealth wise, how's it going to be distributed? You know, what's the family needs? Who else do you have to look after? What needs to be retained in the business? And I've seen a lot of businesses fail because of the taxes that had to be paid on the death of a business owner because they pro- didn't properly plan. And, and I've seen it in, younger people, and I've seen it in older people. Um, you know, one I'm dealing with right now, fellas over 90 and four children, and they're trying to figure out what to do with the valuable property that the business owns. Um, and what's their overriding concern right now is paying the taxes. Yeah. So they're, 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 it's, it's, you can't let taxes always make the decisions for you. Because, um, and like I keep pointing out to this family, is if you put this off, it's going to cost you more later. Right now, you've got a tax planning opportunity while everybody's still alive and talking to each other and healthy. When something happens to any one of these individuals, everything's going to change. You're not going to have the same choices that you have while everybody's in the condition to, to, make, to make those decisions and come together. So you have... 
the business has to constantly be ready for the unavenged for the for the un, uh, unexpected. So and, and that's from a tax point of view, that's 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 huge. Yeah, well, it's huge. You know, you're definitely speaking my language because um, it, it's beyond the taxes. This is why I mean, the show is all about taking ownership getting founders to take ownership of their numbers, not abdicating to bookkeepers, not abdicating to their accountants, not abdicating to their financial planners, taking ownership, starting with the end in mind, which also includes building that net profit. And I know a lot of business owners will say, well, we don't want the net profit in there. We're only going to get taxed on it, right? But this is what allows you to survive the, the long game, including pandemic. So to your point, we just never know what's going to happen. The idea is to plan for inevitables. And this is one of our previous solutions, right? Scenario based testing on the numbers, what would happen if and so um, I think that's, you know, your recommendation is brilliant, actually, just take ownership of this, look at all the different scenarios, have the tough conversations now, right, so that you're not leaving loved ones in a tough situation. Should something happen, you want to say something, go ahead, Stan. Yeah, the business is always, you always have to be in condition to put the for sale sign on it if you need to. I love that. That's another soundbite. You always have to be in the position to put the sale sign on it if you need to. Love it. Uh, uh, and I, you know, I've seen many situations where business owners, they make tax-driven decisions. And like I said, you can't, it can't always be a tax-driven decision. And what they do is they do everything they possibly can to keep the profits down so they don't have to pay taxes. But then they, and then they turn around and they say, well, I want to sell the business. What's it worth? So, yeah. well, it's not worth anything. And they said, what do you mean it's not worth anything? So look at your financial statements. This business has possibly never shown a profit. And if it did, it was minuscule. Because, you know, you've been a very aggressive in whatever it is that you're doing. And now you want somebody to pay for a business that's not showing any income. Like, give it a shake. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> oh, you're full, of, you're full of sound bites. I love it. Give it a shake. Um, you, it, and this, this comes into the planning piece as well. Tell me what your thoughts are on this. But as, you know, as I've been working with clients, one of the um, expense categories that many small business owners aren't even thinking of is setting up a pension plan in their business for themselves and or their employees and having that as an expense of the business. So they're investing in their future financial situation. It's not necessarily adding to the, you know, the, that bottom line tax implication there, but this is really where you can get, and I don't want to use the word creative because I know CRA hates that word, but this is where you get efficient and effective, right? With your dollars that come in and don't right. hide from that bottom line profit. Right. And, and you hit a chord with me because I spent probably about four months doing road shows on individual pension plans for business owners um, and showing, and, and, honestly, and uh, with some specialists on the topic and showing the value of setting up these individual plans, which are really super duper RSPs. They're supercharged RSPs are what, are what they are. Uh, you know, I could go into some detail on it, but is, is CRA is going to help you pay for your pension, pay your, pay your retirement income if you, if you look at these IPPs. They're a little bit complex to set up. They take some um, 
Uh, you have to be able to constantly fund it on a year-over-year basis. It's like an RSP, but you don't really get a break or take, take, be able to take a break from putting the contributions in. So the business has to be able to support the contributions. Beautiful. But it's great for, fa- it's great for family planning. It's great for the individual planning. And it's a good way to extract profits on a very tax-efficient basis. Love it. Okay, so here's the takeaways I got out of this. Tell me if if I'm missing anything or if you think there's another really important nugget in this. But always starting with the end in mind, getting that figured out. Um, It's not what you make, it's what you keep. Uh, The other important piece here that I took away from this is for the business owner, and I love this soundbite, you're a part of the business, but you have to set yourself apart from the business. So two separate plans and those long-term game plans, you need to know them for both yourself and your business and your business helps fuel that long-term game plan for yourself personally. Those were my big takeaways. Yeah. And don't shy away from yeah. profit. Yeah I, yeah, I wish I had brought it today, but I have a hat and on the front of the hat, it says in oh. and on the back of the hat, it says on. So when you're wearing it the front, front way with the brim facing out, it says in. And on the back, if you turn it around, you look like a goof wearing it on. So you can't be working. In, if you're working in the business, you can't be working on it. There you go. There's another one. I love it. All right, Stan. Which, which, way's, oh. which way's your hat pointing? Beautiful. I knew this would be a fun episode, and uh, you, uh, you have not disappointed. We're having tons of fun. Okay, so this is the end of our first segment, which is all about the game plan. You heard the takeaways there. Please come back and join us. We're going to take a a, a brief intermission, but come back and join us for part two when we start talking about the players now. And uh, before you join part two, please don't forget to subscribe below, share any comments that you might have, and share this forward. If you know of anybody that's trying to figure out how to get their head wrapped around taxes this year, this is an episode they won't want to miss. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in part two of Quarterbacking Your Tax Return. Bye. All right, everybody, welcome back for part two of Quarterbacking Your Tax Return. We are here in the studio with Stan Swartz, president of Info Money Solutions, Inc. And uh, we're actually having a lot of fun today. So thanks, Stan, so much for for joining us. Um, Okay, the players. This is what we we wanted to dive into in this segment. Now, you started talking about it in the last segment where we started talking about the lawyer, the accountant, the financial planner. Before we go there though, I have one question that kind of, it's it's residue from part one, but I think it ties into part two. With a business owner, do you recommend they have the same accountant for their personal taxes and their business taxes or two separate accountants to manage those returns? In most cases, I'd say it should be the same. Now, depending on the needs in the, of the business and, the, and certain planning needs or tax needs, it may be two different people in the same firm. Okay. Okay, good. Just wanted to clarify that. I know I get a lot of questions on that. Seems to make sense to me, right? Because they're, 
as you said, your soundbite, a part of the business, but apart from the business. So uh, it makes sense to have have somebody on your on your side that understands the game plan for both you and your business. All right. So what you're about to talk about is super important. It wasn't impressed upon me until probably about five years ago when I was setting up whatever business it was, number six, number seven. And it was the first time that my accountant had asked me, well, who's your lawyer? I'm like, what's it to you? So <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about that, why it's important and who we who we need to help us uh, organize this this game going forward. So you want me to comment on that? <laughs> I would love. I would love to. Yeah, I feel a soundbite coming up. Yeah, it's it's important for the accountant to know who the lawyer is and also what that lawyer's specialty is. Uh, because depending on the type kind of transaction that the accountant may trip a trip across that the that the client needs to address you have to know is the lawyer a real estate specialist is the family law is the uh, wills and estates like what are you know what do they do because I keep running into lawyers and they'll say uh, well I don't I don't do that um, you got to find somebody else so it's a good idea to find a and a lot of times they'll say well my lawyer is is Mary or Joe uh, but I haven't spoken to him or her in the last five or 10 years because I haven't had anything to do. Um, and then the question becomes, well, why haven't you had anything to do? Or when was the last time you updated your will? Have you had any real estate transactions? So um, it's good to find out. Or, and even once you do find out who the lawyer is, uh, check their website or Google them and find out what it is that they do. Sometimes you'll even find out that they're no longer in practice. Uh, so now who do you wow. go to? Wow. Well, I, I know a lot of clients I work with, too, will have lawyers for intellectual property issues, right? But not necessarily with respect to corporate, um, the, the corporate lawyer that's understanding the structure of the, the company overall and the shares. And Right. Now, one of, one of the things that business owners traditionally forget, because nobody's around to remind them, especially and always if they're a corporation, their minute books have to be updated on an annual basis. Yeah. Um, now, coming back to what I said in the previous session, it's important for that to be done, especially if you're going to sell the business or it has to be transitioned or whatever, because whoever the lawyer is that's acting for the uh, the successor, the, the purchaser, whoever it is, they're going to want to see the minute book. Uh, they're going to want to make sure that the share register is up to date because who are we, who, whose shares are we buying? Uh, were there corporate resolutions passed for the uh, acceptance of the annual financial statements? Uh, what about dividend resolutions? Were there, made, are there ma any major transactions that went on that have not been documented or should have been documented in the, biz in the business? And that could add a lot of expense and, and time and a lot of time consumption to the completion of a transaction and, and end up being, and, and there could be tax aspects to that too. Okay. Uh, because, you know, especially the type of dividends that may have been paid. Was it paid from, uh, was it was it passive income that was paid out as dividends? Was it active business income? So again, it all comes back and could impact the tax returns. So, um, so if, can I just ask if we then go back to the lawyer? Um, so we've got an accountant on the bench. We, we we've got the accountant there. Uh, any specific sort of accountant that we're looking for 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 small business owners, business owners under ten million? You probably want someone who's a good generalist. A good generalist. And so what would the designation be? So, you know, right now, well, we used to have three designations in Canada, but now we've all come under one umbrella. So you're, you're looking for a CPA. 
a CPA. Awesome. So we've got the accountant on the bench. Now the lawyer, what practice area are we looking for specifically with our lawyer? That should be corporate commercial. Corporate commercial. Even, even awesome. If doing, and if they're doing corporate commercial, they've probably got somebody that they work with to, or they, they themselves can handle um, real estate transactions and hand you off to somebody else to do wills. Okay. So same sort of thing that we were talking about before where, you know, ideally maybe it's a firm scenario where there's partners within the firm, right? As we were talking about with the accountant, with lawyer, again, a firm where you've got different areas of practice and they might be able to, to work back and forth. And why, why is it that we want the lawyer speaking to the accountant or what is the role of the lawyer specifically? Well, the lawyer on an annual basis, he should be sending out the request letter uh, for information as to dividends that were declared and paid, whether there was any significant, whether bonuses uh, were declared and possibly not paid that have to be recorded in the minute book. Uh, were there any share transactions? Now, sometimes these share transactions get reflected on the tax return, but not, uh, not, on the, um, not in the minute book. Uh, so who really is the shareholder? Gotcha. You I know, think... If, if, if new, Sorry, go ahead. Shareholders were... If you've got new shareholders, I just ran across a case the other day, a court case where um, a new shareholder was brought in and didn't pay for the shares. Hmm. So the courts, so this ended up in a whole involved litigation matter and tax, especially and in tax court uh, because of the ramifications of the new shareholder not actually having paid for the shares. Might have only been a dollar or ten dollars that they had to pay but they couldn't demonstrate that they owned the shares because they never paid for them. Wow. Um, and so, you know, you bring up a, you bring up a good point here. I know that. So that story I was sharing with you about going to the accountant, the accountant said, who's the lawyer. It, it, it was impressed upon me in that moment because I was actually setting up the business that the structure of the company, if the accountant's job is to mitigate taxes overall it's important for them to understand the structure, but more important, it was important for both of them to actually understand the long-term game plan and all of the players, because in this specific situation, we had the personal taxes, we had several corporations. And so it was about then forming a hold co. And then that hold co actually taking on a portion of the profits and what they own. I wouldn't have been able to set that up by myself it was actually the lawyer and the accountant and listening to them talk to one another, me listening in, but them saying, if this is the objective, right. And they had to piece it together. And so it, to me, it just, it really landed with me the, the importance and the relevance of them having the conversation of me knowing what I needed out of this within five years and 10 years, but them then working together to make that structure happen. Right. And what I recommend is draw the picture. Love it. Draw the, draw, draw the organization chart. So if you, especially in corporate structures where you could have several shareholders and each of them have their own holding company, each of those holding companies have other shareholders in them. Um, and what types of shares should be, should each one of those players have? Should they be common shares? Should they be pref shares? Should they be redeemable pref shares? Should they be convertible shares? Like, what do you want to happen, especially when you're doing possibly a corporate rollover if somebody's got a, a partnership or a proprietorship and they're rolling it into a corporation? Like, 
what attributes do you want to have? And especially, and that then comes into the succession planning and the estate planning for those shares as well. Yeah, it, we go back to uh, part one of this episode, right? When you were talking about, <laughs> is the business staying with you until your cold hand, hand is you know reaching out of the ground? But knowing what the end game is, and if you're passing it down, if you're you know if if you've got the succession plan, again, all of that factors in from the very beginning. It's not at the end of the game that you start piecing it together. The worst part is at the end when this yeah. when this all hasn't been done beforehand. Okay. The, the time and the and the expense of dealing with it then is horrendous. You rem- you remind me of um, both of our last guests have say, said the exact same thing. The sooner you start looking at the numbers, the more options you have, the less painful it is. So I hope that lands with people listening to this because I know numbers. A lot of people hide from them you know, the, the finance, the money piece, it's, you know, I really, I think people would prefer to go to the dentist rather than <laughs> deal with taxes. And anyways, do it now. So you don't need to do a root canal. It's just a nice little polish, right? Easy peasy. Don't say, don't say root canal to me. I, I just, <laughs> okay. I'm trying to differentiate whether the root canal is worse than the wisdom tooth. Anyways, I digress. Okay, awesome. Okay, so now we've got the accountant on the bench, we've got the lawyer, the the, the corporate lawyer on the bench. Um, next game, next player, who else do we need on there? Financial advisor. Financial advisor. Okay, tell us all about him or her. Um, gener- some, the individual and or the corporation may have have, ex- have cash that they have invested over a period of time in portfolio investments, stocks, bonds, uh, mutual funds or whatever. So those those will generally could be in a personal account and could also be in corporate accounts. Uh, so what's the tax implications of the income that's being derived from it? What's the tax implications of the capital gains and the losses that are being derived? In the last couple of years, CRAs made that whole calculation of the taxes on that type of income so complicated that you know, it's it's almost where you need a, a rocket surgeon to to figure it out. Uh, but really, uh, so you've got to differentiate between, like I said, passive income and uh, active business income, because each one goes into a separate pool, and when it's drawn out, is pulled out at different tax rates. So you've got to figure out what that is and be aware of it. So you it may you may be more you may be in better shape to pull them to pull the. Uh, in, take, pull out more income and invest it personally because of the tax breaks that you're going to get for dividends and capital gains than leaving it in the corporation, especially if, it, if it's um, foreign investments. If you're, if you're buying U.S. stocks, uh, you don't get any foreign tax credit on the dividends received from those. So you're better off on a personal side. So, But it, first of all, when you pull it out, though, you're going to be taxed as either dividend or income. So you've got to look at that, how, how best to handle that and where do I invest the money? You may be better off taking those money, using that money rather than into portfolio investments. And if you qualify into things like whole life life insurance, because you're not taxed on an annual basis on the income generated within a life insurance policy. So whether it be a universal life policy or a whole life policy, you may be better off putting excess funds into those things. And also looking at what it is, uh, and that, that'll also protect the business uh, when the need comes to, to pay for taxes because there'll be a, a resource of cash and monies to be paid out to beneficiaries. 
Can you clarify the difference? So I'm hearing a lot about obviously the tax implications of where we're investing our money. Is that the role of, so sorry, there's two questions in there. The first question is, is that the role of the advisor or the role of the accountant to understand the tax consequences? The role of the advisor is generally to recommend investments. Okay, recommend investments. And then your accountant is looking for ways to minimize the, minimize the taxes on those investments. Should the advisor be speaking to the accountant? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And, and, and saying what's, what, should be, what should be our game plan for our client? Okay. Um, and I know this is, uh, this is another kind of uh, hornousness, but can you explain the differences between financial planners, financial advisors, uh, brokers, what it, I know a lot of people get confused with all the terminology. What exactly, who exactly are we looking for? A certified financial planner, which I happen to be, we look at overall situations of both the business and the individual and the interrelationships and plan. We don't necessarily advise on investments while, while we certainly can to look at uh, but generally, we're not stock analysts. We're not looking at research reports as a fi- as a planner. We're looking at best how to plan for the for the situations that we're presented with. If the need to invest some dollars comes out of that plan, then we'll give recommendations on the uh, the most appropriate type of investments to utilize. So, like I said, could be life insurance, it could be mutual funds, could be segregated funds. And then we will look at it and say, where's the, where's the tax efficiency? Should it be within the corporation? Should it be on an individual basis? How is lifestyle going to be funded? What are, what are family, how are family needs going to be dealt with? What's the, what's the long-term plan? So we, it, it's a planning process. If you, if you try to look at it like the advisor's dealing with a moment in time, okay, I've got money to invest from the client and I'm going to invest it. The planner is looking somewhat backwards and somewhat forward and saying, what do I have to deal with here? What, does, what do we need to achieve for these client or clients? Okay. So does the business owner then want both a financial planner and a financial advisor? Or... I say yes, yes, because okay. the planner, you know, should, actually should be the quarterback. Okay, the financial planner should be the quarterback, not the business owner. Well, well, the, the business owner is the, is the person sending in the plays from the sideline. Okay. Maybe they're the team owner. Yes, they're the team owner. They're saying, okay, you know, we, we got we got twenty yards to go. Uh, these are the, the, these are the play. This is, you know, this is how we're going to get there. You go execute. I love it. Up in the VIP booth, we might have to change the name of the episode. <laughs> but okay, so that's, that's making sense. I can wrap my head around all of that. And the financial planner then really just planning on behalf of the business owner, not planning in the business, but more planning on the personal side of things for that long-term game plan. And, and the corporate. And the corporate. Okay. So we've he's got, got to, he's got to, he's got to know the corporate results. Okay. Just a, should I ask a question on fees now, or I have one other question. You're talking a lot about insurance and I know insurance factors in, into our financial story. Is that a separate player or is the financial planner 
are they in the, the role or do they have the capacity to secure the right insurance necessary? Many do, and many advisors also can. Okay. But, but you, have to, you have to be careful of what's driving the insurance recommendations. Is the advisor or the planner recommending for you to buy something that you need or something they need? And when I say they need, yes. they get paid by commission. Okay. So you, you got to be careful and find what, what's really driving this, this planner or advisor. So this, this leads me to the second question is fees, right? And understanding how people are getting paid. So accountants and lawyers, typically an hour, uh, an hour, an hourly bill, an hourly compensation model, or maybe on retainer or for accounts, it might be project-based, right? Where it's a annual return and you're, you're paying a fee for that. So that's taking care of financial planners and financial advisors. I know there's a lot of talk now about fee-based models and not commission-based models. Can you speak to that? Do you have any recommendations on what we should be looking for? If, you, if you've got a significantly a significant size portfolio, you probably want to negotiate with your advisor to pay a, to pay a fee, uh, a flat fee for managing your, your portfolio. So maybe it's 1%, maybe it's 1.5% of the value of the portfolio that they charge, which is, which is reasonable. And they give you the investment recommendations and they uh, you know, look at the look at the research and take into account what it is. Uh, whether you're a conservative investor, whether you're an aggressive investor, so they take that into account. And whether you're looking for income or growth out of the portfolio, or possibly both. So they'll take that those things into account. What is the and difference working, between income and growth? They sound like the same thing to me. No, because if you're looking for income, you may be looking at the blue chip stocks that pay pay three, four, five percent dividends. Oh, the dividends. Or okay. If you're, so if you're looking at income, if you're looking at growth, you say, "I'm not interested in the dividends. I'm just looking for stuff that's going to grow." Gotcha. Gotcha. So, okay. For the, All right. For the businesses. So you know that's like you know it's like your own business. Do I put the money back in to grow the business, or I'm looking to take? take the income out rather than reinvesting it. Same thing. Gotcha. So with the financial, so the financial advisor, initially what they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll take a holistic approach and they'll look at everything you've got or every, and everything you don't got um, and come up with a, <laughs> and, and do a plan, uh, uh, taking into account your lifestyle needs, what it is you need for children's education, whether you plan to sell your home or buy a home, uh, spend time out of the country one of these days, uh, so they take all that into account. Uh, you've got a pension plan. When you're going to start collecting on that pension plan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they take that whole all into account, and they'll do projections, and they'll run various scenarios for you to say, well, you, if, if this happens, this, this is what the results are going to be. And if you go uh, another, another route, then this, these are the results. And they'll show you the tax impact on, a, on an annual basis and possibly at the end, you know, if you sell your business and sell possibly the family cottage and things like that. So they'll show you what the results are going to be of each of those different scenarios. Okay. So that's what the planner will do. Now, having come out of that, what they may say is, you know, when I look at your situation, I see there's a lot of exposure here, either because of significant debt that you may have or because taxes that may be due if you, if you die. 
Um, so I recommend that we either look at the life insurance that you currently have, or maybe consider putting in some additional insurance that you have. Now, I've also run across cases where people are overinsured. Yes. You say, you know what, uh, you're paying a lot for this life insurance. You really yeah. don't need it. Yeah. The other thing is, uh, what type of life insurance do you have? Is it term? Is it whole life? Uh, maybe because of the long-term needs for it, uh, we're possibly looking at converting some of your term insurance to whole life. Anyway, so that's okay. that's my, so that's what so that's the distinction between the advisor and the, and planner. the planner. Beautiful. The advisor won't know all that stuff that the that the planner finds out. Okay. And so one question on insurance, is it possible to find if, if it is your planner? So I want to go back to that comment where insurance is commission based. Is all insurance commission based or no? Can, can you still find the, the, the fee based uh, planner to actually buy that insurance package? There's no, insur- there's no life insurance that I know of or critical illness or disability insurance. I know that, that that's on a fee base. Okay. Now, and, and generally, it's not legal for the, uh, the insurance person to rebate the commission back to the client and charge a separate fee. Okay, interesting. All right. Okay, so takeaways from this then. Um, I do have one more question, but I'll mention it after the takeaway. So again, just who's on the bench, who we need on the game on the field here is we have the accountant, um, a CPA, we've got the lawyer, that's all about corporate structure, you probably, many might have other lawyers as well. Um, but who we're looking at for this specific game is your your corporate lawyer. Um, we're looking for the financial planner and possibly a financial advisor. And if that planner does not have the capacity to do the insurance, then we're looking for that that insurance broker as well. So potentially five, maybe down to, to three um, yeah. if needed. Okay. Right. Last question on this is most people, I think, all of these players are playing their own game. They're off doing their own thing. They're not working like a team. Um, you recommended that the financial planner is the one that's bringing these players together to make sure that the interests of the team owner are, you know, all in line. Are these like quarterly meetings they should be having, annual meetings? What, what, what do you suggest there? Every situation is different. So depending on what it is, uh, how big the business is, what the family situation is, the family dynamics are, uh, that have to be dealt with. Sometimes it's quarterly, sometimes it's annually. So it's, it, it all, some, generally in the early, in, in the first year or two, it's generally more often. And then once everybody's got a handle and understands the process, um, it, it's less regular. Okay. So I know we're, we're keeping you a while here for this segment. So I always promise about 15, 20 minute segments, but there's lots of value in this one. My, my last question on this is finding these people. I typically advocate for a rule of three where it's go interview three, uh, three professionals in each one of these categories, ask them the same questions and then evaluate all the responses and make a decision based on you having done the homework, not because you got a referral and -and so-and-so told you to work with so-and-so. Do you have any advice in that area or do you have any suggestions on important or powerful questions that we can be asking these professionals to best assess if they're the right fit for us? Well, number one is to find find the gaps 
in in the in the um, in, in what what your existing professionals have been giving you. Like, what is it that they haven't done for you? Um, sit down with some with with a, a colleague. Sit down with another business owner, somebody that you know and you trust that you've had a relationship, and say, "What do you do? Who do you get advice from?" See what they say. You know, you know. Have you got a lawyer? Maybe they'll say, "Yeah, I got a lawyer," but he or she's not very good. They, you know, they they haven't done this and they haven't done that. They may say the same thing about their accountant or financial advisor, but then by the same token, they may say, "I got a great financial advisor," but uh, the accountant and the lawyer, man, eh, not so much. Um, so so then you so then you start to uh, gather some intelligence as to who people that you know and respect and are successful are utilizing and find out what is it that, and say, what is it that one thing that they've done for you that you consider special? Um, I love that. And then take that as, as a great takeaway and then follow up on that. You may, not have, to, you may not have to interview three. Uh, may come down and say, I get a good feeling from that person. Okay. So I think just because your video or your uh, audio cut out there a little bit, again, just to hit that message home is really about what is the one thing that your professional does for you that's really special. Share that with me. I think that's brilliant, actually, Stan. I love that. I've never heard of that question. I think that's a really powerful one. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here for uh, part two. And thank you, founders, for listening or watching. However, you're observing this content. Um, just a reminder that there are plenty of tools that you can download to help you through this for part one. There is the, uh, the game plan worksheet for part two here. We actually have a list of questions that you can ask professionals. We are going to add Stan's suggestion of what is the one thing that they do that's super special for you that really resonates. Um, and as always, don't forget to like and share it forward and add any comments um, below. Okay, uh, we are going to take a quick break, but we will be back for our, our final segment, part three, which is all about the 10-yard line. So we're just going to run through a checklist of, of well, not, not physically run through the checklist, uh, but we're going to run through everything that you need to, to kind of better prepare yourself for tax season right ahead. This is what we wait all year for, and here it is, and Stan's going to give us some tips there. All right, we'll see you back here for part three. See you shortly. Hello, founders. Welcome back. We are here for part three of quarterbacking your tax return. We are here with Stan Swartz, who is the president of Info Money Solutions, Inc. Uh, in case you're actually just tuning in, I definitely want you to go back and check out the first two episodes because Stan and I have been having a lot of fun. We've actually um, infused a lot of laughter and humor into the topic of taxes. So it is not dry and it is not boring. So go back and check it out. But here we are for part three. And the whole idea of this segment is really understanding now how to prepare for our uh, return here coming up. We're right in tax season. Uh, we can see the, uh, the we can see the the end line. The goal is in sight, and uh, stands here to share with us some tips and tricks so that we are in a position to be better prepared uh, come March. So, Stan, what do you have for us? Where do you want to start? Okay, you're down at the 10-yard line. So number one, what you should realize or you must have is you must have a CRA My Account. 
So if you haven't got one, go onto the CRA website, register for a CRA My Account. Um, they'll send you the, you'll set up a username and a temporary password, I believe, but they'll send you a, a password to use. I think they send those in the mail for security purposes. And then take a look and look at your CRA account. It'll give you all, it'll give you your tax history of all the, of your, all your previous tax um, assessments. It'll see what, what installments you've may have paid for the current year, show you what refunds, it'll show you your tax-free savings account balances, show you your RSP uh, balances. Um, and like I said, there's a wealth of information there and it'll also give you access to prior years, uh, T4s, T4As, T5 slips, T3 slips, and all that stuff. So it's a good way of checking to make sure you've got all the slips to make sure before you give everything to the account. Okay, that's brilliant. One question on that: Is it showing us anything about the business or no? Just our personal. No. That's Just that's personal. so you can you can get a separate CRA business account. Okay. Which will give which will give you uh, um, all your business accounts and and the history as well. So having said and and so on this my account whether you have the copies of your paper tax returns from prior years or not, it'll also give you the loss carry forwards that you have. So you may have had stock transactions in previous years that generated losses, which haven't been carried back, but are eligible to be carried forward. So if you've got capital gains in 2020, you may have some uh, losses that you weren't aware of that you can use to offset gains. So that's number one, to be aware of, excuse me, those carry forward balances. Uh, the other thing to be aware of is certain things may have happened uh, to you or a family member during 2020 uh, that makes you eligible or them eligible for a disability tax credit. I've seen a lot of situations where, where clients, I had one where I hadn't seen the client in a number of years and he, he showed up to the office um, and he came in walking with a cane. Um, I said, I said, what's, what's wrong? He says, well, I got this problem and mobility issues and yada, yada, yada. Uh, so I said, well, you know, we, we should probably apply for a disability tax credit for you. So he says, oh, what's that? So I explained it to him. We've applied for the disability tax credit, carried it back, went, and, and you can go back 10 years to get that credit. Uh, he got a check for $14,000 from CRA. Wow. So, so it, so if you've got a if you've got a disability, if there's a family member that pops possibly eligible for that disability tax credit, accountant may not ask if what's what changes have happened in this past year that may make you eligible for credits that they are not aware of. You know whether there's been children new children in the family and things like that. So that's just one aside. Uh, again, uh, with RSPs. If you've made an RSP contribution, is 2020 the best year to take that deduction? Possibly carry it forward to future years. Um, if your income was low for whatever reason, maybe uh, your business suffered be because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and, you, and, and you didn't take out as much money from the business, had a reduced salary. Uh, yeah. Don't utilize that. Don't utilize that RSP contribution. Carry it forward till th to when okay. to when your income improves. Um, Wait, sorry, one, one second there, Stan. I just want to, let's just hammer home that point because it was a really important point and I, I feel that some of the people listening might have glossed over that. So why Stan here is recommending that we don't put in those RRSPs because when you contribute the RRSPs in that year, you're mitigating your tax dollars, right? You're mitigating the dollars that you need to pay because it's recognized as, as income. So 
if you're not making a huge income that year, and I think 2020, I, I think it's safe to say a lot of people um, struggled with, with income, um, that would not be the year to top up your RRSPs because you're already going to be paying lower taxes if this is your specific situation, right? I just, I wanted to really hammer that home for people. If you okay. make the contribution, look at the best place, look at when's the best time going to be to utilize it. Beautiful. Don't just, okay. and, and most accountants, when faced with the RSP receipt, they just take the deductions. They're not saying, well, are things, are things starting to turn around? Should we yeah. save this contribution? Now, um, so that's my recommendation there. And if you've got okay. the excess cash, for whatever, for whatever reason you had it and you were planning on putting it into an RSP before March 2nd, Maybe for the time being, put it into a tax-free savings account if you've got the room. Okay. Can you please just clarify the difference for founders? I know for some of them, it's going to be like, uh, I already know this. But for others, what is the difference from a tax implication between an RRSP and a TSFA? All right. Tax-free savings accounts, a great thing that the CRA came or government came up with a number of years ago and allows you to put money into a tax, what they call a tax-free savings account and invest that money into a number of different things. So whether it be stocks, bonds, mutual funds, savings accounts, whatever, whatever, whatever income is derived from that investment within the tax-free savings account is not subject to tax, zero tax. You're putting in tax paid dollars. So there's no deduction on your tax return for it but whatever income it earns is not going to be subject to tax. Beautiful. With an RRSP, you're putting in dollars that you paid tax on generally, but you get a refund of those tax dollars because you made the tax RSP contribution. So what happens is that money goes in, it earns whatever income it earns, whether it be tax, capital gains, dividends, interest, while it's in the RRSP, you're not paying tax on the earnings. When you start, when you pull it out, um, at whatever age you decide to start pulling it out as in the form of a RIF or just withdrawal from the RSP, you're going to be tax, paying tax on that, on those total dollars that come out. So it's not just the earnings that that RSP money made, you're paying tax on all the money that comes out. Now, if we got time for an aside on that. Let's do it, absolutely. I have, I, I wrestle with this with a lot of clients, whether or not to be actually be making RSP contributions. Because when the money comes out of an RSP, generally in the form of a RIF, you're paying full taxes on the total amount that comes out. So whether it be tax, whether it be capital gains, whether it be dividends, whether it be interest, you're going to pay full taxes on it. If you make the contribution within a tax-free savings account, you're not paying any taxes on whatever comes out. But again, you're putting in after-tax dollars. If you put that money into a non-registered account, not an RSP, not a TFSA, when you earn capital gains, you're only paying tax on half the gain. If you're pulling it out in the form of dividends, you're only going to pay tax at about 32 or 34% on those dividends. But if you're in a high-tax bracket, if the dividends were earned within an RRSP, you could end up paying taxes at, at a 52 or 54%. So in some cases, what I say is you've got to take a good hard look at where you're putting the money. 
sometimes it doesn't pay to put the money into an RSP, even though you're going to get that deferral, and even though it's going to continue to generate um, or compound on a tax-deferred basis, depending on the kind of investor you are and what ultimately your income could be, it may be a good idea not to always jump into an RSP. Now, I don't know wow. if that's clear. Yeah, no, well, there was a lot there, but what I'm hearing is like you have to do the math or you get the financial planner to do the math. Right. Your point right. of the different scenarios option A, you do this, this is the consequence. Option B or the outcome, right? Option B, option C. So the planner's laying it out for you. Right. Now, as well, if you're over 65 and you're collecting old age security, if you're pulling dividend, if you're receiving dividends, even from your own business, those dividends are grossed up for tax purposes. And those could, those could increase the potential to have a clawback of your old age security, either part of it or all of it. So you have to look at that dividend income that's coming out of a non-registered account, or even when you start drawing out your RIF money and saying, is this going to impact my old age security? So again, you have to do this. You have to look forward. You have to look back and you have to say, take all these elements together and say, what's going to be the overall impact, not only on my taxes, but on the other, other um, income, uh, income-based uh, tax credits that I get. Yeah. You know, and for, for anybody that's listening that is feeling like this might be a little overwhelming, right? A, just again, remember, this is why you've got the players on the field. You've got the financial planner, the advisor, the, um, the, the accountant, and the lawyer. And I have to say, I have never felt um, more assured and more comfortable and, quite honestly, more financially secure when I have these people around me and they pay for themselves in the money that they actually save me or make me. If I had to do this on my own, I probably would have lost tons, tens of thousands of dollars. So for those people who are like, oh, my gosh, that's a lot of work. And oh, my gosh, now I've got to hire someone to do all of this. The money that you invest in these people long term can 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 save you tens, thousands of dollars. Right. Yeah. As we you, know, you, know, you know, the worst the worst surprise is when you, you get your tax return after the tax returns completed. And the yeah. accountant says, oh, by the way, your, your old age security was completely clawed back. And you say, well, what happened? You say, well, you took out an extra $20,000 of dividends from your, from your corporation, and that impacted okay. your old age security. And you say, well, I only took out $20,000, and I did a calculation that I, it wouldn't impact. You say, aha, but it got grossed up. And that gross up on the dividends wiped out your old age security. Okay. Along with all your other income. So. A lot. That's as, a lot to deal with. It's a lot to deal with. So, but as, so as we move into taxes, as we move into, so sorry, that scenario you gave me, it reminded me of another episode we did where we were talking about amortization on equipment and how many accountants just write it off in whatever way they feel they need to write it off without understanding the long-term consequences, right. And how it impacts the valuation of the business and then a lot of founders are saying, well, how do we know? How do we know these things? So when, what do you think, and I, I don't want to put a number to this, but when we are preparing for our taxes, what are, what are the questions? What are the top questions? And this might be a loaded question because I think it depends on if you're a business owner and how old you are, 
but what are the top three to five areas that we want feedback on or the questions that we want to present our accountants so that we know what they're doing and why they're doing it? Well, I think the first question is to challenge them and say, what could I have done differently to reduce my taxes? Now, if the only thing you've got, if the only thing you've got is a T4 slip, there ain't much. But then if you're a business owner and the interrelationship of the business and yourself, uh, they should be able to answer that. It's an open-ended question. Yeah. But they should, but they should be able, but if they can't answer that question and say, uh, well, we could have done this and we could have done that, but say, okay, fine. So uh, the the books are closed on 2020, but what can we do in 2021? And possibly not very often, but sometimes you can do a little bit of retroactive planning. And like you just touched on with the the depreciation and and amortization and capital cost allowances, in some cases, it may be on the, uh, on the personal side, people have investment property. And in a lot of cases, the accountants automatically take capital cost allowance on the building value of that property, not on the land, but on the, on the value of the building on the property. I would never do that. I would have a good conversation with my client and say, let's not take take the capital cost allowance, unless it's a really significant number, on this property for two reasons. Number one is uh, the tax saving is going to be uh, insignificant. And the, and the, but the bigger one is if, as, and when you dispose of the property, by whatever means that is, all that previous capital cost allowance is going to come back in and be treated as income. So you may have 20 or 25 years worth of capital cost allowance that all comes back in in one shot and is taxed at regular income. So your tax saving might have been minuscule over the years because you may have been at a lower tax rate. But now you're going to have this huge amount of capital cost allowance that's recaptured on the disposition of that property, which throws up a big tax bill. Wow. So I would... So I would many, many times I'd say to the client, unless you tell me otherwise, I'm not taking capital cost allowance on this investment property. Okay. So this is another great reason to have all the players on the team at the same time and quarterback by the financial planner so that they can see past, present, future, and how everything needs to align. One question for those of those of uh, the audience that don't necessarily have their team in place, when they open up the CRA My Account, and thank you for that tip, I think that's a brilliant one. Does it actually show the um, the, the different um, tax advantages or, or different policies that have come into effect for that year that will kind of at least allow us to go, oh, this is a new incentive, or this is a new incentive, or this is a new incentive to give us something to go to the financial planner or the accountant with? That's in a separate area of the CR okay. website. Now okay. you, you've just you've touched on something very significant there. Uh, spend some time going through the CRA website. You know it'll tell you what the changes were for 2020. Tell you what the changes are for 2021. Uh, you're going to have to be aware of the SERP benefits that you may have received in 2020 and how they're going to affect your taxes. Um, are you going to have to repay any of that? Uh, have you gotten caught in, in whatever situation that you were unaware of? And coming back to the accountant, uh, speak to the accountant. Did they take advantage or recommend to you, on the, especially on the business side, uh, to, to how to take advantage of whatever benefits you could have or should have? 
Yeah, I think it'll be interesting, you know, at the end of the year, knowing that a lot of uh, a lot of business owners received subsidies and received benefits and, you know, put put holds on leases. Right. So, yes, lower income, but also lower expenses, I think, for for a lot of them. And so it's uh, it's going to be definitely an interesting year, to say the least, to, to see what comes and, in the wash. And if you got the wage subsidy and it ended up, you end up making, making more money than you otherwise thought, uh, those wages that, you know, you've got a reduced salary cost, uh, but higher profit, which you're going to be paying tax on. Yeah. Okay. So again, get the players on the field. So we know what's going on here. So all that, all that leading up to taxes, any recommendations now, now that the it gets filed and we're waiting three months, four months um, after year end to, to get our return in and we actually see what we owe, any suggestions on post game, our reflections and uh, anything we should be speaking to um, to our players about? Yeah, sit, yeah, sit down with the players and, and say, okay, um, now if you didn't have time to review the tax return when it was completed, Sit down and go through it with the accountant and say, okay, explain to me. Go through it line by line when they've got the time and say, explain it to me. What, what went on here? What was the interconnection and the interplay of various lines on the tax return? Uh, sit and, and then speak to your financial advisor and say, you know what? What if we converted some of these, these interest-earning investments into dividend-paying investments? What if, if, because I don't, or because I don't need the income from the dividend paying stocks, should we be repositioning it into different equities that have greater uh, growth opportunity? Um, and then you can look at forward tax planning or, or succession and uh, transition planning and saying how, you know, how's best to secure these investments uh, in the event of a market crash or um, or death or whatever, and avoid probate fees. There are ways of doing that, but that's for okay. topic for another day. Uh, <laughs> um, so you want to look at the tax efficiency of whatever it is you're invested in and how it aligns with your risk tolerance. Okay. I, you know, I, I personally really, that, that tip really uh, resonates with me because I think that, you know, at the end of... Um, the end of every event I would do back in my business development days, as tired as we all were, and as exhausted as we all were, we really sat down and went through a debrief right in that moment, because that's when it's fresh a mind free, right? What did work? What didn't work? What would we have done differently? What can we do better next time? Because guaranteed, if you leave it, which a lot of founders do until January, February of 2022, you're going to be like, ah, you know, what, what were we thinking about? We were thinking that there were some great ideas that we could be doing back then, but completely forgot about it. So and us, in the and, moment. And us as taxpayers, go on that CRA website, see what things apply to you, read the financial papers, look in the newspaper, listen to watch shows like this, get the, get the tips, listen to them and challenge the people that work for you. Oh, that is huge. That is such a empowering place to leave it challenge, they work for you, right? You are paying them. So um, challenge them. I love that you take ownership. And that other piece there, Stan, that I think really, um, uh, hopefully will sit with people, this doesn't need to be figured out overnight. 
that you take small, consistent steps to your point, Stan, read something, you know, watch the episode, speak to friends about it, look at the, you know, your social media feeds, just inquire curiosity, right? And small step after small step, you get better and better and better and stronger and stronger and stronger. And um, at the same time, building your team and asking them questions and learning from them. So do not abdicate, delegate, know the team, get out there and win the game. Stan, thank you so, so much. So appreciate your time and your insights, your intel. It's brilliant. I had so much fun with you here today. I know the founders that are listening in. I hope they had fun too. You want to say something. What do you want to say, sir? Yeah, one final thought. Uh, it, may not have a, it may not apply right now, but one of my partners always would say, no one who ever went to a cocktail party paid taxes. No one who ever went to a <laughs> All right, there's another sound bite for you to end it off. Right. I love it. Right. Thank you, sir. Again, just a shout out to our episode champion community futures of Saskatchewan. Thank you for all that you do. You're there on the front line working with business owners to see their way through this pandemic. So thank you for that. And um, this episode, Stan, just so you know, we're turning it into a podcast. We've crossed the line and people can listen in. So thanks for being here. Download the tools. There's a checklist that you can uh, download for this segment. Uh, We'll see you uh, next time back in the Gab Lab for episode seven. Stan, thank you again, sir. Great to have you here. We'll uh, we'll see you soon. Stay well, stay safe. You, You too. Bye for now. Bye.